So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Good to see you online. Good to see you in the room. Um, it's good to have coffee back, right? So there we go. I don't know if there's any left or not. Probably not. But Sorry. Next week, you need to come early. Hey, two words, and I know uh, my kids growing up years ago heard these two words a lot, and I always spoke them with gentleness and kindness and, and patience, and it was, pay attention, something like that. You know, those two words are really important when our, our minds and our hearts start to wander or even wonder. You need to pay attention. Listen carefully. Please Note, be aware, concentrate, focus, beware, pay attention. How do you respond when someone says to you, I'm dying and it won't be long? When we hear words like that, we, we pay attention because they get our attention. And we, we know the time will be short, it's sacred, the words spoken will be limited and important. Peter says he's dying. Somehow, someway, the Lord has told him that his time is short, and, and Peter knows that soon he'll draw his last breath in execution. Peter's going to be tortured, Peter's going to be crucified, and he knows it. He knows the time is short, so he wants to use the words and the time he has left to warn the church about a real and present danger. There's something going on that really has him focused, and he wants them to understand. And here's the thing. The, the thing that Peter is concerned about in his day is still a real and present danger today, so we need to pay attention in verses 12 through 15 of 2 Peter 1, Peter says, look, you, you already know what I'm about to tell you. You've, you've built your life on it. You stand firm on it. 
but I, I just want you to, to take it in so deeply in your heart that you'll never forget it because there is a danger and I don't want you to be harmed by it. So you really, really need to take this in and, and pay close attention to what I'm about to tell you. So, so what's going on in Peter's day that, that has him so stirred up and so concerned that this whole second Peter is about? What's going on and what's going on then that, that needs to be addressed by us now? What is it? Well, it seems from, from everything I can read and study that essentially there were some false teachers who claimed to be Christians and they were saying something like this. Hey, there is no second coming. There is no judgment. There is no punishment so live like you want. This idea of a second coming that Peter and the other guys talk about, that's a clever story they made up to control you. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Live your life as you want. You are free in Christ. He came and he freed us from the law. He freed us from all laws. So just live like you want. Enjoy life. There's no second coming. There's nothing to worry about. And so while it manifests itself a little bit differently today, this false teaching is, is still presented in, in a similar way. And it, it's the idea, hey, God is so loving and, and all these things. You, you don't really need to worry about judgment. You don't really need to worry about punishment. Just live like you want. Be a good person, be kind, be nice. Do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anyone. And so what happens is this marvelous grace of God, to use the words of Jude 4, becomes a license for immorality and freedom in Christ that Paul talks about gets twisted and, and perverted and distorted to where we say, you know what? We're free in Christ. Follow your impulses. Go where you're desires drive you. If it makes you happy, do it. If it feels good, just do it. Now, Peter's going to lay out a very strong case in chapter two, explicit at times as to why this thinking is so dangerous and so wrong. But here in the second part of chapter one of second Peter, he's really laying the foundation that's essential for us having a, a, a strong, healthy relationship with Jesus that brings the, the, the peace and the joy and the confidence that we all really, really want. So we really need to pay attention. Hey, there's something about mountains that is so attractive. They're so majestic and literally awesome. Some of you know that we have a daughter that lives in Colorado Springs and I took this picture just about a month ago. They live in Colorado Springs. You walk out their back door, you can see Pikes Peak. It's just a wonderful thing. And, and they really upped their game because they had a baby on June 11th. And she adores me. She, can't, she, she just can't get enough of me, you, you can tell. Hey, I know you're supposed to hold them close, but I, had a, I, had a, I picked that outfit out, so I wanted, wanted a picture. She didn't think it was a good idea to get a picture. But that's little baby Ella, and that's my daughter, Rebecca. Ella is one month old today, July 11th. So she's so sweet. 
I just want to be there so badly. While I was there, we were there. We were blessed to be there for the first nine days of her life. We heard her being born right in the middle of Kansas. We took off and, and we heard her being born. And uh, so we got there in Colorado Springs and got to hold her that very night that she was born. And we spent the first eight or nine days there. And I was living the dream because in the morning I would go out. I like to run and hike and all that kind of stuff. So I would go out and, and hike around Pikes Peak at an altitude of more than 9,000 feet. And I, I just loved it. I hiked several days, several miles. And, and then I would come home and I would sit on the couch and get to hold baby Ella on and off all day. It was like living the dream. And then there was something else that I really liked to do and I got to do just uh, without any other responsibilities. I got to study Second Peter. And I knew I was gonna preach uh, in Bedford next week and then Sean said, hey, can you do today? And I said, sure, I'm ready because I've been studying Second Peter. So while I was having these mountaintop experiences, both literally and, and figuratively, I was studying 2 Peter and reading about Peter's mountaintop experience, which he makes reference to there in chapter one when he exhorts us to pay attention. About six months before Jesus dies, something stunning and something spectacular happens on a mountain. Some think it's Mount Tabor, others think it's Mount Hermon. I think it's Mount Hermon, which tops out at more than 9,000 feet. So one day, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain that says a high mountain, maybe a mountain that's more than 9,000 feet, where the, the air is thin and the views are just breathtaking. And so Peter, James, and John, are, they're watching Jesus, and it says in Matthew 17, as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as light. Now Mark says that the clothes of Jesus, and Peter may have been his informant, the clothes of Jesus became dazzling white. And so as Peter, James, and John are trying to behold this bright and shining Jesus, trying to adjust their eyes to this, they see two other figures, two men, conversing with Jesus and somehow they know it's superheroes from the past. It's, it's Moses and it's Elijah. And Peter, one always to have something to say, doesn't know what to say, but he feels like he should say something. So out of his fear and terror, he says, oh man, this is great to be here. Wow, let's, let's build three little memorial shelters, uh, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it's then that I think God says, Peter, you need to uh, be quiet. Because it says, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Hear ye him. The transfiguration of Jesus was a transforming event for Peter. He saw the glory of the Lord. He saw, the, he saw his majestic splendor with his own eyes, he says, when Jesus received glory and honor from the Father, from God the Father. And Peter says something like this. He says, look, we're not making this up. It really happened. It's real. And I'm telling you further that the second coming of Jesus is real and will really 
happen. You need to pay attention. Then he goes on in verses 19 through 21 to say this. Because of that experience up on the mountain, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Peter is saying to his audience, he's saying to us today, saying to the church, he said, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention to scripture. Pay attention to scripture. Now it's interesting to me, and it, at first it's like, ah, what does this mean? But it makes sense when you think about it that he ties this to the transfiguration. Because on that mountain of transfiguration, Jesus converses in some kind of mystical, majestic way with Moses and Elijah, both who had great mountaintop experiences. And Jesus converses with them and Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And you see that in scripture quite a bit, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. And when you see that, it's, it's signaling that they're talking about all of the Hebrew Bible. They're talking about the complete Old Testament when they talk about the law and the prophets, which then brings to mind, do you remember what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount early on in chapter five of Matthew? He says, don't think that I came, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying, look, I have come to embody. I've come to embody scripture. I've come to show you in, in human form, what God has written in the past. I've, I've come to show you how it looks. But wait, there's more. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, pitched his tent with us. And we have seen the glory. We've seen his glory, the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the embodiment of God. He is God in the flesh. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He says in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen God, you've seen the Father. He embodies everything that God has written in the past and everything that God wants in a human being. And Peter is saying, you better listen to him. But here's the thing, Peter said, and you better listen to scriptures that point to him. And Peter's making a point, he is coming back. He is coming back and there will be judgment, Jesus says so. And the disobedient, those who refuse to pay attention will be punished. Don't be led astray by false teaching what Peter's saying. So as we think about what all this means for us, I think it's important for us to think about scripture and how important it is in our lives. We as a church, 
place a high value on scripture. Sean, the other week, had a great sermon, as usual, and he talked about the elders, and he said, you know, the elders have a kind of a job description, and at the heart of that job description are these things about the word of God. And that is to uphold God's word as authoritative, to seek its wisdom, to teach it, and, and to use it to guard the doctrinal integrity of the church. Peter would say, wow, that is just exactly what I like to see. This is what Peter's getting at. Now, to me, there is something so interesting and something else that's so important about all this, and that is that Peter recognizes Paul, Paul's writings as scripture. At the end of 2 Peter, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter three, Peter says this as he addresses the delayed second coming, which is the issue. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother, brother, brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these things. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people, people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's saying Paul's writings are scripture. And then you look at Paul and he says this about scripture in 2 Timothy 3. He says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now there's a whole lot to say about this and I think we're gonna talk about it here in a few weeks, but today we don't have time. So here's the bottom line, pay attention to scripture. Pay attention to scripture. We believe God breathed into the hearts and the minds of those who spoke and those who wrote, guiding them to, to say what he wanted them to say, guiding them to write what he wanted them to write. He allowed them to use their own personality, their own words, their own grammar, but he breathed into their hearts and minds to get what he wanted. And so I believe that what we have is inspired word of God. And I also believe that God took all those pieces, letters, documents, and books and, and oversaw the process to bring them together to where we have what we have today. We need to be careful though, when it comes to the Bible, that we don't look at it as uh, dead letters and words on lifeless pages. We need to understand and and read scripture, and I think this is what Paul or Peter's getting at, we need to read scripture through a relationship with the word who became flesh, through Jesus. So the word of God is alive, it's active, it wants to do something. The word of God using the spirit of God or spirit of God using the word of God wants to transform us. Now it's an interesting exchange that Jesus has with some of the religious leaders of his day who were very much about all the the words and the, the, the pages of a scroll and so on and so forth. And it's not a friendly exchange. He says, look, you've missed the point. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. You're missing the point when you just focus on these words and they don't point to Jesus. So our desire 
is to allow the words of scripture and the word who became flesh, Jesus, to shape and mold us and transform us, to change our lives. But here's the, here's the temptation that I fall into, and you probably do also. The temptation is to do the opposite. And, and that's a real present danger. Instead of allowing the scripture to speak into our lives and transform us, we want to start where we are. We want to take our desires, our drives, and we want to make scripture affirm those, conforming to our wishes. It's a dangerous thing to do. There's a story told uh, of decades ago, the captain of a ship looked into a very dark night and he saw a distant light. So he told his signal man, send a message. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. The message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. This upset the captain. So he sent another message. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain. The message came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Captain was livid. He sent another message, a final message back. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a captain and a battleship. The response came back, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. See, the word of God is ever and always true and it doesn't change. It doesn't change. It changes us. And it brings life and joy and peace and confidence and, and, and the goal of God. He wants us to have all those things, but there's more. I believe the goal of God is, is for us to embody those words of scripture as seen in Jesus. And so we read it, we pray it, we meditate upon it, and we allow the Spirit of God using these words to transform us into the image of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3.18, so that we become like Jesus, living and loving as he did, doing the things he did, and holding together grace and truth. Modern day Jews have a celebration called Simchat Torah, which is a, a annual celebration at the completion of a yearly reading of the Torah. And so the climax of that celebration is, as they gather is, is the rabbi very carefully and intentionally and, and ceremoniously grasps a scroll and he, he lifts it heavenward. And as he does, the people celebrate with exuberance and dancing. Well, the story is told that during World War II, there were a group of Jews in concentration camp who, who were very depressed, obviously. And as, as the day got closer for Simchat Torah, they were, they were really almost in complete despair because they didn't have a scroll and they just couldn't celebrate. So the rabbi was concerned about his people and he prayed and he prayed. And finally, God answered his prayer. And so he gathered the people on that day and they were all looking at him with eager anticipation that he might say something. And he looked at them. And without saying anything, he motioned for a young boy to come forward. 
And he said, son, do you know the Shema? Yes, I know the Shema and many other scriptures. So the rabbi looked at the gathered group and then he looked at the boy and looked at them again and then he reached down and he grabbed the boy and intentionally and ceremoniously raised him. And as he did, the people celebrated with exuberance and dancing. See, our goal, our goal is to take the words of the Bible, to, to read those words, to read the pages through a relationship with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit of God to bring them to life, to fulfill them, to embody them, uh, to hold out grace and truth in our lives to bring light to a dark world. The Holy Spirit who is welcome here, the very breath of God gives us living words, words that can be heard, read and known, words that convince and words that convict, words that light and words that delight, words that form and words that transform, words that come alive, even in human frailty, we just need to pay attention. There is a day when Jesus will come back, he says so. He says that. And, and Paul in Acts 17, 31 says, I don't know what he means for sure, but he says there's a day fixed. It seems like there's a day on God's calendar circled that he will come back. And so there will be judgment and there will be a sad separation for some. It doesn't have to be that way though. That's the good news. It doesn't have to be that way. And Jesus offers us something else. He offers us abundant life, a life of joy, peace, and confidence now that, that just kind of transforms into eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever. I want that, don't you? Right now, uh, it's such a challenging time. It's a, it's a critical time in our culture. And so... It's time today to make sure that you are solid with God, that, that you're good. You don't get everything right. It's, it's about his grace and mercy, but we don't exploit that. We, we respond to it with love. Beyond that, there are people all around us who are literally dying, physically and spiritually, who don't know Jesus. And you, you may be the only Bible they see, you may be the only representation of Jesus that they know. And so let's all take that seriously and, and pay attention to scripture and pay attention to those around us and, and just be mindful of trying to share our faith with those folks. Where are you today? Uh, Jesus invites you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done to come to him. He can, he can, fix, he can fix anything and he wants to. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself in a hundred billion different ways. And we see you in nature. We see you in mountains. We see you in rivers. We see you in the thundering ocean. God, we see you in other people but we thank you that you have revealed yourself in scripture and then finally and fully in the word who became flesh. Father, help him to be our focus and help us to always point to him and strive to be like him. 
Father, um, we thank you that you sustain us and we pray that you will continue to bless us as we strive to be your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.